is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Mesh Tsunami podcast. Today, we kick off our fifth season with six conversations from episode one, our update from the co-hosts, and a look at some of the patient treatment challenges we'll face this year, particularly connected to the potential approval of resmeterone. There'll be no vault this week. It will be back next week. This conversation maintains its focus on challenges within consumer-directed healthcare, but the specific direction of the conversation changes. Louise Campbell starts by noting how pricing disparities between countries also may have the ability to direct prescribing away from home country physicians. Her example, in the Little Egypt section of London where she practiced years ago, the advent of DAAs for hepatitis C and price differences between Egypt and UK led patients to travel to Egypt to buy their own drugs, often outside the care and supervision of their regular UK physicians. Jorn Schottenberg notes that resmeterone, the likely first approved MASH drug, will be weight neutral, which might create distance between patients being treated for advanced liver disease who will seek their own physicians and patients seeking primarily weight loss who are more likely to work through telemedicine. As the conversation continues, we all realize this would be a good topic for 360-degree episodes with all stakeholders following resmeterone approval. After having January away from the podcast, Jorn, Louise, and I all are happy to be back. This discussion does not go into tremendous depth, but provides a high-level view of how complicated things might get for muzzled stakeholders in the year ahead. It's a bit to digest, so just sit back, listen, learn, enjoy. When you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Louise Campbell. Oh, any drug that's were, uh, that people are interested in. Uh, I remember when the DAAs came out. I remember sitting in an ad board saying, if you price it this in one country and this in another country, you will drive a, a black market. No, we won't. I live uh, and worked on Little Egypt in London. Egypt had $1,000 for an entire course of um, Harmony. And they all just went to Egypt and got months and months and months worth of supply. So we were seeing it, which is not, and it would have been seen in Germany, people turning up saying we're being treated, wanting viral loads to know what they're treating. And we're going, we don't know what you're on. So you drive something else. So it is a concern, but it's awareness. And I'm one for chirping about education. We are currently only educating physicians to prescribe. We are not educating healthcare providers like myself um, and allied health who sit in front of the patients longer and more frequently than physicians to talk about these medications, to talk about the proper management, to get out the conversation. So we will be watching the same press in news stories and getting information in the wrong way as the patients. So we don't know and we won't know to be able to do this in the better way. And that's not dissimilar with semaglutide as it will be with resmeteron and the others that come along. It's going to get more complicated as hepatitis C did. Jörn Schattenberg. I mean, the big difference, Roger, is that we're going to get uh, drugs uh, in the first wave, uh, most likely approved that are weight neutral. Uh, and obviously, um, the obesity epidemic uh, across the world, particularly in the US, driving the phenomena you've been uh, describing that a lot of patients are looking for a solution for weight loss. In the arena of fatty liver disease, for the first wave of drugs, I don't think we're going to see it to the same extent. You'll need a specialist to assess the response to treatment. And um, I think it comes back to educating physicians to transfer a patient that's at risk for pre-serotic advanced disease to receive an assessment and potential treatment that will impact his underlying liver disease. Roger Green. One of the things I'm going to try to do in the next couple of months is start a dialogue on this 
podcast with U.S. payers because in a very practical way, all this is going to hit them. And if I were in their shoes, and I used to advise some of them, my concern right now would not be so much about controlling resmeterone as it would be about controlling all this other stuff and seeing if I could get on top of it or around it because those challenges just might be huge. But we agree. So issue number one, Jorn, what else, what what exactly do you anticipate will happen when resmeterone launches? Ah, that's a good question. So um, obviously there's going to be some time lag in Europe. So we'll see real world data coming from the US and I'll be in close contact with my colleagues there to, you know, gather their experience and see how it's done in real life. I mean, the other thing is that as a clinician, um, I do have the opportunity to participate in clinical trials, testing resmeterone patients with uh, cirrhosis, um, looking for outcomes. So that's my part of uh, resmeterone experience there for some time, because again, we're not going to have an approved uh, in, in Europe for some time after the US. What's going to happen? I think we're ready to recommend referral of the patients we'd like to see on drug, uh, including FIP4, VCTE, maybe even some MR imaging in the US. And from you know, what we've seen, the safety, I think it'll be, um, and the efficacy, it'll be a comfortable treatment situation for patients going on drug, not needing intensive uh, safety monitoring. And the question will be how long to treat and does the patient respond? And uh, I think we've seen some early responsiveness data uh, looking at biochemical responses, but also VCTE responses. The question is going to be how do we combine it with treatment for the underlying comorbidities, including obesity, but also type 2 diabetes. And some of the post hoc analyses that are going to come out from the phase three trial are going to help us with that assessment. So um, I think it will be around how to assess treatment response, how long keep the patient on the drug, uh, how to combine it. Those are exactly the right issues. Do you see better data emerging on those issues today? Yeah, the focus on obviously on the reporting of the primary endpoint, um, the analysis, getting it across to the regulators and seeing their assessment of the data that's been submitted. But there is obviously such a big database from the clinical trial. And then once it comes into practice with conditional approval, you're going to be able to actually do combinations in a real world setting, investigator initiated, which will at a rapid pace expand our knowledge and the ability to do combinations beyond post hoc analyses of the phase three trials. So Louise, I saw you nodding and perhaps even taking notes. What, what, what do you think? Well, I was thinking on what Jean was saying, it's something in relating to your first question. Resmeteron will obviously be approved for those with liver disease. The prescribing of a drug that we know can do fat and improve liver health in pres- being now uh, being available to be prescribed outside liver disease, the same that um, Wegovy semaglutide is prescribed elsewhere for different reasons and to whether or not that can be controlled going back to your question so that struck me we will are going to have a drug that can be available for that potential misuse I suppose is the word. Do we have any data on drug-drug interactions and what it does for the absorption or malabsorption of other medications and that potential? Because, of course, it's going to go out beyond a trial population to real world. Therefore, lots more medications will be now utilised. And I know we have the yellow card system to record various aspects, but do we know anything about drug-drug interactions, Sean, from the clinical trials particularly? Because I know the safety profile is good, but... Yeah, there were no major issues on drug-drug interactions, nothing difficult or not manageable in clinical care. I mean, that's standard practice uh, and, it, and it wasn't complicated. So uh, no, I'm not I'm not too concerned on, on that issue. So it's those things I tend to see more in the real world when people are walking through and we're looking at, so I'll be looking at those. Uh, there were some limitations regarding the uh, degree of thyroid hormone, thyroid hormones you're taking at baseline in the clinical trial. And obviously, this could be different in a real-world setting, but I haven't really seen a signal that this changes the levels dramatically. And again, no, no concerns from my side. 
And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded the conversation or send an email to questions at surfingmash.com. We'll be back next week with a stakeholder-centric look at the issues of 2024. Until then, stay safe. Surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.